0: In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Philippians, chapter 3.
1: So it's so being to reach, realize that each one of the representative seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 were surprised at their own report card. We need to really reflect on that regarding our own. That should give all of us pause for reflection. And it must have been a shock to Samson when he thought he still had his old power, but when he woke up in reality, it had departed from him. Can you imagine the shock of Samson, who began to take that for granted, that he had the special strength from God, that when he woke up and realized it had been withdrawn, that God had, uh, uh, in effect, abandoned him. What a shock. What a shock. So verse 12 is not only a statement of the demands of discipleship, it's also an announcement of the principles by which this calling should be realized. First, he acknowledges that he was called by Christ Jesus, okay? Secondly, God had a purpose in calling him. Do you realize that God had a specific purpose in calling you? You need to be called indeed, okay? He had a purpose in calling you, and the great adventure in life is to discover what that purpose is. And thirdly, he acknowledged that he puts an obligation on himself, an obligation to follow after Jesus. Do you take Jesus seriously? Is it the primary priority in your life? That's what we're talking about here. We're called by the God of the universe. We didn't choose him. He chose us. John 6, Jesus you No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up the last, at the last day. He says that again in John 15. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Did Abraham choose God? Hardly. He was perfectly satisfied where he was in the Mesopotamian River Valley in a pagan idol-worshipping culture. But God called him to be the vehicle for his plan of redemption of all mankind, not just the Jews. You and I are beneficiary of the Abrahamic covenant. Moses, likewise. David, the youngest of seven sons, was chosen. John the Baptist was chosen before he was born. When did did John the Baptist's ministry start? When he's a few inches long and in uh, well, weighed a pound and a half and was in the womb. He jumped for joy, jumped for joy. Interesting. Paul was in the process of persecuting Christians. In each case, it was God's init- initiative. God called him on the Damascus Road. He wasn't on, uh, on. He wasn't. He wasn't on that path. And so it is with you and me. We're called, and we need to understand that God has called us. And the great discovery, the great quest, is to understand to discover what it is specifically he's called you to do in each case it's for a specific purpose every one that we can go through the scripture always a specific purpose and that's what he says in romans 8 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love god to them are to them who are the called according to his purpose that doesn't apply to everybody no it applies to those who are the called according to his purpose for them all things will work together for good and yet it goes on, there's more. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And moreover, whom he predestinated, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Wow. And then from then on, you go to that incredible tour de force that wraps up Romans 8. Romans 8. Let's get back to Philippians 3 verse 13. Paul says, Brethren, I can't count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul wasn't complacent. He was intensely committed to winning the race of life, of maximizing his opportunities. He wasn't complacent. He was driven uh, and uh, you know, it fascinates me uh, when I, uh, as a teenager, I went through Ben Franklin's autobiography and, and poor Richard's Almanac and so forth. Ben Franklin was on this kick of trying to develop a virtuous life, and he had an interesting approach. He made a list of 12 virtues, and he knew he couldn't do them all at once, so each month he would pick one, and that would be his focus, and that one, that, that, that one uh, month, that one virtue, that month would be his focus every day, and it's kind of interesting. The one thing. That's an important flag uh, phrase for each of us. in in Mark 10. One thing thou lackest, Jesus said to the self-righteous rich young ruler. Remember? That might have been Mark too, by the way. One thing needful, Jesus explained to busy Martha when she criticized her sister. One thing I know, exclaimed the man who had received his sight by the power of Christ in John 9. One thing have I desired of the Lord that that will I seek after. Testifies the psalmist in Psalm 27. One of the secrets of discipline is to concentrate on the one thing, the main thing. And uh, no athlete succeeds by doing everything, he succeeds by specializing. I'm fascinated. Ben Franklin also is always misquoted. His famous admonition is uh, always misquoted he 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 what he actually said was be a jack of all trades and a master of one everybody misquotes him jack of all trades master of none no that's not what he said his concept of an educated person was a person that knew something about everything and everything about something in other words to know enough to have a span of interest and yet there is at least one thing that you Know everything about, and for a Christian, that one thing has to be the Bible. You can know about a lot of other things, and that's very, very useful. But the one thing that you need to be a master of is the Word of God, and that's a lifetime challenge. And uh, and anyway, uh, uh, let, uh, Paul says, let not let nothing detract him. A double mind. Uh, James tells uh, tells us, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Boy, if that isn't true, uh, more true in life. The people who are, are straddling. No, no. The people who are winning are, com- are committed and, and, and perspicacious and, 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 and uh, persistent. Forgetting the past is part of all this. When the children of Israel were delivered from the bondage of the world, in that case it was Egypt, they repeatedly yearned for, for the earlier, more familiar life. And Numbers 11 makes references. We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away, and there's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Remember when they're murmuring there. Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before Forgetting those things which are behind. Paul simply means we need to break the power of the past by living for the future. Luke 9.62 is is a a key verse here. Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm reminded of the the, uh, race driver that uh, I think uh, that... uh, First thing he did before the starting gun went off, he took the rearview mirror, ripped it out, and threw it. This through through it, it, it. There's a movie uh, we saw as a family where that was just an incidental thing, but he he ripped out the rearview mirror, threw out the uh, out the door, and he says, "What's behind us doesn't matter." And that became a watchword among us in the family for a while. Uh, but Paul's saying, reaching forth unto those things which are before, st- stretching as in a race, and uh, like the, like, the, like the race driver, uh, what's behind us doesn't matter. We don't want to be a leeks and garlic Christian. And uh, so Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press, that's the same verb that was translated, I follow after it back in verse 12. It conveys the idea of intense endeavor. Nothing passive here. Nothing casual. Nothing convenient. No, a driving commitment is a flavor here. And it's important for us to realize that Paul is not telling us how to be saved. He's saying that that was something Jesus did already. That would be if we did that. That would be by works and self-effort. That would contradict what he wrote in the first eleven verses, as well as most of the rest of his epistles. I press toward the mark. See, in order to participate in the Greek games, the athlete had to be a citizen, by the way. And he did not run the race to gain a citizenship. In verse 20, he will emphasize that our citizenship is in heaven. Already. That's not something coming. It is already. You're a stranger here. But since we are already the children of God through faith in Christ, we have the responsibility of running the race and achieving the goals that God has set for us. And if you want to talk about rewards... And and, and I encourage you to take a look at our book, The Kingdom, Power, and the Glory, which deals with inheritance and rewards and their distinctives, and and it may surprise you. Verse 15, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God will reveal even this unto you. Here again, the word perfect, of course, means completed, mature, and uh, we're continually... We're continually warned against a false estimate of our spiritual condition. But how can you know God's will? How is it possible for someone to know the mind of God? If God has a plan for your life, how does he reveal it to you? These are serious questions. And uh, Paul here focuses his readers on this very issue. In fact, he says, and and, uh, uh, the way it's in the uh, the International Standard Version, and if you think differently about anything, God will show you how to think word perfect is mature, of course. So God is committed to guiding us, not necessarily more than a step at a time, incidentally. God is committed to revealing his will to us. There are a number of principles to apply to this crucial area. You ready for this? First, we can have this assurance because of the nature of God. God made the world to reveal himself to those who would ultimately live in it and that's what Romans 1 talks about. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You can't miss it, in other words. Second, we must be walking by God's Word. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak myself, in John 7, 17. See, nothing can be the will of God for you that is not in accordance with His Word. His will for non-believers will also be clear. This is the will of him that sent me that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. In John 6. And now, if you're not a Christian, God is not interested in telling you whether or not you should accept that job at Company X, or whether you should marry Sally or Mary or Henry or Henry or John, depending, or whether or not you should enlist in the military. He's interested in whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as your personal savior. That's the prerequisite before anything else. God's will for you starts at that point. If you are a Christian, there is clear insight. Romans 12 lays it out. First two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Thus anything that contributes to your growth in holiness is an aspect of God's will for you. God's will for your work. Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive a reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Wow. Whatever you're doing. Whatever you're doing. Further, he says in Ephesians 6, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, and fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart. Just so we, we talked about that in the last session. The... Uh, Not with eye service or men's pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That's where we got into that whole discussion of the fiduciary concept. With singleness, sincerity of heart, as in a fiduciary relationship. Well, what about the detailed events in one's life? How does one know whether to go to certain movies, making friends with people at work, social drinking, and so forth? Well, there's another predictable factor. Philippians 4, we'll bring this up in the next chapter, I'll put it in here though. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, for the God of peace shall be with you. And the third level here is another principle that is daily fellowship with the, the, the Lord. He has assured us that, Psalm 32, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Well, to guide you with his eye, he must first catch our eye. You must, you must remain eye to eye with him. You can't know his will for us without a knowledge of God's word. And that's exactly what Psalm, again, Psalm 1, right up front. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is where? Is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Day and night. Peter said that we are, Peter 1, verse Peter 1, um, born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Has the Word of God really penetrated your heart? Nothing else will do it. Not the words of a person, not a philosophy, not history, not science. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And this is the first great blessing of a Bible study. The second is our sanctification. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy Word is truth. Now it it is through the study of the Bible and fellowship with God that we're increasingly as He would have us to be. Unfortunately, Christians often seek holiness anywhere but in God's Word. They seek it through reading other literature, by attending religious conferences, by emotional experiences, even mysticism. Do you want to know how relevant the Bible can be to your life and how God can use it to reveal His ability to you? Then you must t- spend time reading it daily. If you are a Christian, God has a specific path marked out for you. You will find it only as you discover His will for you through the Scriptures. Paul continues in verse 16, Nevertheless, where we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. This typically requires us to reverse our standards to His. You know, in the Navy, we call that a turn one-eight. Uh, we would other call it just conversion. Turn 1-8, it's always in 10 degrees. In other words, go back the way it came. No, we call that uh, co- conversion. There are many uh, in the Bible who began showing great promise, but failed at the end because they disregarded God's rules. They did not lose their salvation, but they did lose some of their rewards. In 1 Corinthians 3.15, finishing well is the name of the game. Finishing. So many people start well and indeed they may be saved but they, don't, they, they won't be the overcomers. They won't have so much that's available to them if they've been faithful. Lot is a good example in Genesis 19. Samson in Judges 16. Saul himself, 1 Samuel 28. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5. Were they saved? Probably. But they were taken out of the ballgame. And it can happen to us. Finishing well is the name of the game. Paul continues, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Parenthesis, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Even weeping. It's very strange that in a letter that's been devoted to joy, all through it, To find Paul weeping, but not for himself. Not for his treatment by the Romans, but for others. He was heartbroken over the way some professed Christians were living, who minded earthly things. Broke his heart, actually weeping. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, our citizenship, the calling that we're worthy for. From whence also we look for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we discussed this earlier. the, The conversation is actually polituma. It's translated conversation, but it means citizenship. It's a word from which we get the English word politics, strangely enough. So as we mentioned earlier, Philippi was particularly fond of its privileged status as a Roman, as if on Roman soil. Just as Philippi was a colony of Rome on foreign soil, so the church is a colony of heaven on earth. Let's see, that's the parallel that Paul is drawing. That's why we started this whole thing by doing a review of Acts 16 and to understand the the, the the mindset within Philippi that so much of this was so uh, so uh, it shaped these things. I love the way Donald Gray Barnhouse summarizes us. You ready for this? We're a group of displaced persons (laughs) uprooted from their natural home and on their way to an extraterrestrial destination, not of this planet, neither in roots nor in its ideals. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) We're a group of displaced persons. Because Abraham looked for a city, he was content to live in a tent. For he looked for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Those all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is heavenly, Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. That's all extracted from the famous Hall of Faith, uh, Hebrews Hebrews 11. So Paul concludes this chapter with a glimpse at eschatology, interestingly enough, our blessed hope. And it's very appropriate because there's no greater joy forthcoming than when we focus on our blessed hope. He says, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself? Wow. Our vile body. Well, lowness, humiliation, low estate. The body of glory. In 2 Corinthians 5, 2. For this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Strange verse here. The word house there is okaterion. It's a word that only occurs twice in the New Testament. The word means a dwelling place, a habitation of the body as a dwelling place for the spirit, for example. That's what we groan for, too. we aspire to, the that our house, our habit, our, our clothing from heaven. The only other place in the New Testament that this word appears is in Jude in a very strange way. In Jude, verse 6, it says, And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. This refers to the fallen angels of Genesis 6 who disrobed from their previous existence to indulge in the mischief producing the Nephilim. But it's the same word. What what they've disrobed from is the it's is is it, It's the same word being used of what we're aspiring to. So there's another insight to this hyperspace that will be involved in our resurrection bodies that is given to us by John. One of my favorite verses, because it happens to be a verse in advanced math or advanced physics. It's 1 John 3, 2. He says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And you really won't appreciate that unless you understand that we're dealing with a hyperspace here. We're not going to see a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional person like we have as a photograph, nor will we see a three-dimensional representation of a ten-dimensional being. No, no. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What that's saying is the dimensionality he enjoys will be the same one that we will enjoy, because we will actually be able to comprehend him as he is not a representation of him and that is breathtaking in its significance so i leave that with you and uh, so um, but there's more to come so for our final session in our in this epistle of uh, the philippians i want you to study chapter 4 i want you to review the practical suggestions concluding this intensely personal epistle for next time and let's stand for a closing word of prayer Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for this blessed epistle, and we do pray, Father, through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to make our Lord the main thing, our main focus of our life, the thing by which we prioritize everything else. We also pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, you would draw us ever more comprehensively into your word, that we might grow in grace and the knowledge of him that we might be more effective stewards of the opportunities ahead, that we might be more fruitful for you, Father, as we commit ourselves without any reservations whatsoever into your hands. Indeed, in the name of our Messiah, our coming King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
0: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Messler, teaching through the book of Philippians. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry.